Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are, we are in, um, we are in episode 10 of Life-Changing Connection. And uh, we left off yesterday just talking about the early church and how they were meeting together. And I just want to, I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about that because uh, that's what we're going to spend the time on today. Uh, we're going to just, let's go ahead and read um, again from Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So quite a beautiful picture of the early church. Right after Pentecost, they just they just started to meet together. I mean, it's like, man, we've had this beautiful experience with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's just see where it takes us. And so they gathered together for four things that's mentioned here. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And then, of course, they pooled their resources together to serve those who had need. Most likely the widows and the orphans in their community. But it could be anything that was that was a need. We know that in the early church, uh, when the plagues happened, that as the people fled Rome, the early church went in and helped and basically risked their life to love other people. That's that's pretty amazing when you think about it. So that's that's what they did. And where did they do it? Well, it says that they did it in the temple courts, and then they met at homes. And kind of how it evolved over time is that probably what would happen is as a church developed in a particular community— they would find somebody in that community that had a space in their own home, and that's kind of where the church would gather. And, and you do find this. There will be people that are drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are of means, and they have large homes. They might have a big great room in their home, particularly in, in the Roman Empire, right? There were people that had that. So you'd find somebody that had a large, somebody that just had a large space in their home, and that's where the church began to gather. And typically those people might have servants in their home that would keep that place clean and set up so that the church could gather. And that's just really what the picture of the church is. As a matter of fact, we met, we looked at this one yesterday, but this is the church in uh, Corinth, and this is 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. This is just at the last chapter of 1 Corinthians where Paul's writing. And he says, The church in the province of Asia sends you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with the holy kiss. So you have this church that meet at Priscilla and Aquila's house. And then... We didn't look at this one yesterday, but here's another one. This is Paul's letter to Philemon. And at the entrance, or the first verses of that letter, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and social worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do get this picture. It's a beautiful picture of what the early church is. First of all, it's like family, like they live life together. They meet daily in the temple court or they meet daily or very often in other people's homes. They just they just share life together. They it's a group of people who are called out from the community, from the world around them and they gather together to for the apostles teaching fellowship breaking of bread and prayer and that's just what they do and it works great the, and all they have to do is they go into a community is they they look around and they try to find a place where perhaps they can meet and oftentimes they do find people who are God-fearing people, they, they love God, they want to, they've been blessed by wealth in their life, they want to serve the world around them, and they're attracted to the church because they're of means, and the church is a great opportunity for them to give back, and so it's just a great marriage. And so a lot of these wealthy people, we looked yesterday about Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, who then went and her house was baptized, and she started a house church, probably in her house. It doesn't say that explicitly in the, in the scriptures, but she most likely did. And, and so that just works great un, until it doesn't. Because eventually these people, they die. I mean, Lydia died, Priscilla, Aquila died, Philemon died. And then the question is, what happens to the church after they died? Do they, did they leave in their instructions before their death that they wanted their, their home to be continued to be used for church forever? Or did they bequeath their home to their children and their children maybe over time, after a generation or two, they're no longer engaged in the church and so they don't want the church meeting in their home. Uh, maybe the people that were meeting, you know, allowing the church to come to their home, they... Because it does, if you've ever been part of a small group and had a, you know, a small group meeting in your home, it's just, you don't just, boom, they show up. You have to kind of create some food. You have to arrange chairs. You you know, my case, if I wanted a small group here in my house, I'd have to do some incredible furniture moving just to get a group large enough when we do dinner for eights. You know, I I do an incredible amount of moving of furniture so that we can have a nice dinner for eight. And then whenever he's gone, I move the furniture back. Well, I'm happy to do that once or twice or three times, but I'm not going to do that for the rest of my life. It's just a lot of work. And if you've ever hosted a small group in your house, you know that it is. Even if you have somebody helping you, there's just an amount of time that's necessary to prepare the house necessary and all that sort of thing. And so over time, I believe that the churches then realized that this is great. It's wonderful meeting in somebody's house. If it was a wealthy person, they might even donate a piece of property on their property and build a church, you know, build a space for them to meet because it just, it, it is, it's not, I mean, oh, for a little bit of time, it's fine, but for week after week after week or day after day after day, it's just, it just becomes a lot. And so what ended up happening is that most likely these churches, well, we know these churches, these these groups of people, these churches, decided to kind of build their own house church. And so they would find a piece of property or maybe an existing home, and they would just build a church that was suitable to the things that they wanted to do. And, and architecture has actually found some of these churches. 
uh, at least one. Th- this is a picture. I'm going to show it to you. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm going to have to describe it to you. But this is this is the world's oldest church, and it is from a publication called The World Oldest Church, Bible, Art, and Ritual at Dura Arupas, Syria. So we just bombed Syria, my understanding is, yesterday. Um, have no idea how close we are to this church, but this is a, a house church that they had in Syria. And let me describe it to you. It's probably about uh, 20 meters by 20 meters. So we're talking about 60 feet by 60 feet. So that's 3,600 square feet. So it's a very, very large home size. And they have a couple rooms in it. One of the rooms is the courtyard. So people come in through a portico or a vestibule. And these are probably each about, um, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 feet by 10 feet, so 100 square feet. Uh, maybe the portico is, is by 10 by 20. They come into the vestibule, the portico, and they go into a central courtyard. And the courtyard is, pro- it looks to be about maybe 30 feet by 30 feet, so maybe 1,000 square feet. It's the size of a good-sized classroom, basically, is, is the courtyard. That's in the center of the building. And then off to the left is an assembly hall, and it's probably about 20 by 60 or so. So it's also maybe about the same size as the courtyard, maybe. And you, remember, they didn't have tables and chairs back then. Most people, if they were learning, would sit down on the floor. And so this room probably could fit maybe 40 or 50 people. Um, They had a thing that they called a baptistry, which is where they would do the baptisms. That's probably just a pool and then uh, kind of an instruction area um, to the south of the pool or to the down from the pool. They had another room, not exactly sure. We don't know what all these rooms are for. But basically, this was this was what, the, at least in one location, at one church, this is kind of how they did stuff. And you can see that it perfectly matches with Acts, the, the things that they were doing in Acts, right? That they, uh, they gathered together for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So they could... Obviously, the courtyard was just a, a place where they could come and fellowship with each other. I mean, they probably just spent a lot of time in the courtyard fellowshipping. And then if they wanted to learn something, maybe a group of people went off and they, they learned the apostles' teaching in this assembly hall. They might have had communion in that room, uh, fellowship. Uh, but it was just a very, very, very tight-knit group of people that met together. And, and they found a space and they created a space in order to, to do the things that the church called them to do, that they felt that God had called them to do. And it works great, again, until what happens as the church grows. Because as the church grows, then they get more people. And as they get more people, you just can't fit them in this space. So you'd have to build a bigger space. Or the more difficult thing is, is that you've got to split the group into two so that they can continue to grow. And then they continue to grow, and then they split, and they split, and the church splits. And and you have this, so the early church particularly had to have this mindset that this brief period of time doesn't last forever. And eventually it will, um, you know, this this moment in time and these people that I love and that I fellowship with, this won't last forever. And if you've ever moved or if you've ever 
gone to a different congregation or if you've ever had somebody in your church move, I mean, you know that nothing ever lasts forever. It's like the people in your life that you enjoy and you fellowship with. Eventually, things do, you know, change and people move on and and things change and, and change is just part of the church. And I think part of being a good leader in the church is understanding that change is inevitable. If if God's called us to grow organically or otherwise, then then change is necessary. And that means that things are going to change. Uh, that's just the way. And we'll, we'll probably talk about that more in a future episode of this. But change is inevitable. And one of the problems of a church is they just get too comfortable with the way things are. They don't want change. And as soon as a church gets into that mindset that no, no, we don't want any change, then that is probably where the church starts to decline and to fall. Because change, if you want to grow, right? I have a tree outside that's growing. Well, it's changing every day and it's, you know, the roots are getting bigger. And eventually, you know, if you put a, a tree in a parking lot island, you know, that that parking lot island, the roots might get so big that it buckles the parking lot island, which is a massive change, right? I mean, and but that's just the way, I mean, grow things that grow change all the time. And so the church should always expect that things are never, ever going to stay the same. I mean, the church should be the forefront of the same. We don't want things to stay the change. If, if, if change is happening, that's good because that means that uh, the kingdom is growing or, you know, the potential for the kingdom is growing or whatever. Um, but you still run into two problems. One is that, so if you stay as a house church, how do you, how do you continue to grow? Like, how do you, how do you make you know the the church so it is continuing to grow? In the, in the early church, obviously they were serving the community around them. They were they were pooling their resources together. They were you know there was excitement. I call it mojo. It's probably not the right word for it, but you know there's just a lot of excitement there. There's presence of the spirit there. It's growing. It's doing things. People are attracted to that. And and when when things become too static then people aren't necessarily attracted to that because then it just becomes stayed and and uh and the church has fought a, 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 you know around this forever um and it's not just the programs and the things like that but people just get comfortable with their own relationships right so you have um a church and they're meeting and they've been meeting for years and you see the same people for years and a new person comes in and everybody looks at that nice, you know, nice new person that's coming in and they say, hey, it's nice to meet you. Welcome. But I am not going to, you know, jeopardize my own friendships and relationships to enter into a relationship with you because it's just too much. I have already filled my relationship bucket. And we haven't really talked about this, but there's a guy named Larry Osborne who wrote a book called Sticky Church. And he talks about the importance of those relationships that that everybody is like a Lego piece. And as a Lego piece, you know, if you've ever seen a Lego, it has these little, you know, bumps sticking out of it that you attach other Legos to. And it's like people only have so many bumps coming out of their body. And so when a new person enters into their life, they just may not have the capacity to have more relationships. And yet the people that show up, uh, you know, in a church on Sunday morning, they're looking for relationships. And so, Part of the job of a church is to create the capacity that there that you can absorb people who are looking for relationship, and that's one of the things that a church has to struggle with. The other thing that a church has to struggle with is how do you how do you if if 
if it's an attractional church. And what I mean by attractional church is that it's a church that the worship or the things you do is so phenomenally good that people just are attracted to it. And that has been, at least I think over the last 20 or 30 years, that has been the model of church growth is that what you do on Sunday morning is so incredible that people in the community are like, you got to go check out what they're doing on Sunday morning. It's just incredible. You know, the, the, the production of everything they do, it just, you've got to go see it. And so we've seen this over and over again for the last like 20 or 30 years that that model has worked really, really well because it, it's just, you know, the high quality. The, the problem is, is that now, now the church on Sunday morning is competing with so much more. It's, it's competing with you know, Hollywood, which has million dollar budgets to, you know, to write scripts and produce, you know, phenomenal content that's available on Sunday morning. And so, you know, that's one thing that the church competes against. The other thing that church competes against is that people just love their weekends to go out into nature and do hiking and do those kind of things. The church is competing against families that are, you know, trying to find things to do with their family, you know, on the weekends. And so they go out and do things. And and none of that is bad, actually. I mean, if you are if you are a person, you're, you know, you're trying to find, you know, things to do and to build relationships in your family, you know, you're, you're looking for stuff like that. And so if a church wants to attract, you know, and there are things that a church can do to attract. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. You just have to figure out what it is that your community is looking for. And then you build that. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a pile of wood and, um, you know, it's been out there for a year or two and, and a uh, you know a local, a local herpetologist will tell you that's a habitat for snakes, right? If you if you want snakes, you build that, and the snakes will come. And sure enough, you dig down and you find that pack rats have been in there, and snakes have been in there, and everything. Because if you build it, they will come. And and a herpetologist will tell you you want snakes on your property. I'll ex- tell you exactly what it is that you build, and the snakes will come. And so. If you want, if there's a certain segment of the population you want to attract, you just have to build, you know, what it is that they're attracted to and they will come. And so if you want to attract, let's say, um, families into your church, then you have to have a thing to where you have to have programs and facilities and things to where, where, you know, when parents with young kids show up, the kids love it, the parents love it because it's exactly what is meeting their needs in the moment. And this has kind of been a, you know, a evolving process for me too, because for me, I was grown up in a, I, you know, I was raised in a traditional church body. And so uh, you'd go to church and then you go to Sunday school. And that was what I felt comfortable with. And, and that's what I love. And so when we were growing our children, we would go to church and then they would go off to Sunday school. But a lot of young parents today, they, they really want to uh, go to church and have the kids in their own program that's, you know, relevant and exciting for them and the parents to go into their own program so that they can, you know, learn. You know, they're lo- they're not necessarily looking for something to do with their kids. They're looking for something to do maybe away from the kids. You know, not everybody's that way, but some are. And so if you build that, you'll attract those kind of parents. Um, when I was in my 20s, uh, there was a place in Phoenix on Camelback Road called the Monastery. It was a bar and grill. And it was in the front was a bar and in the back 
It had a sand volleyball net. And people just went there because it was it was a habitat, if you want to say, for people my age, where you could go, you could get a drink, you could go in the back and play volleyball. And this place was just packed all the time because it attracted, uh, you know, it was built and designed to attract that age group. And so, I, you know, if you wanted to attract people that age, that's kind of what you got to you know, think about building is just, you know, something that, that attracts the, the people that, that looks like that. If you want to build young moms that, you know, you can do a program that, that, you know, where young moms get together. But if you just want to have a place where young moms hang out, then, you know, build a coffee shop, <laughs> build a coffee shop with the playground, right? If you've got those two things, you will attract every mom in your in your community they you know they may not spend a lot of time there but at least they'll come and check it out once and if it's a fun friendly atmosphere they'll come and be a part of that too and so these are the these are just types of things that you have to think about you know who are we attracting and, and how do we build the habitat to attract them or if it's not the attractional model then then you do a different model which is how do we go out into the community and find people that are ready to to hear the message of the gospel and how do we incorporate them into our community into our church and and as they begin to come in then how do we make the hard difficult changes to change and to grow and to split and do all those things those are the those are the things that we struggle with as a church because it is just too comfortable for us to kind of stay the same and to not make any change that if it once the church is saying we will not make any change anymore and that begins the decline and the downfall because then it, you're not, uh, you know, you're not, um, you're not growing because change is growth, right? So then, you know, eventually the church, uh, over time, will diminish, and then that's that's kind of, and no church really wants to do that. And they're not, and when a church does start to diminish, oh my goodness, they they freak out and it becomes. They even become more cloistered and, and sequestered and inward looking and, you know, how do we make the budget and that sort of thing. And that's that's um, that's unfortunate. And, that you know, that's every church over a period of time, unless they can just revitalize, regrow, you know, make the changes necessary to, to, to change. And I think uh, one of the lessons that I've that God has laid on my heart is that a church you know, from day one, you, you almost have to think of a congregation as like, we, we expect change, you know, whatever change is necessary, we're willing to do it because, um, you know, one of the problems that, of change, right, is that um, we fear change because we know that once that change is made, it's going to be so difficult that we're never going to make another change, right? So, but a church should be, a church especially should be willing to make any change and, and church should constantly be making change and looking for change and how can we do things and starting new programs, closing down programs that don't work again, you know, and, and it's, it's up to the leadership of the church then to help manage that change, to say, yeah, I know this is a great program, you love it, it's awesome, it's worked for us for a long time, but if we put all the resources into that program, we can't put into this new program that we're talking about. So we're going to close down that one. We're going to start a new one and see if it works. And maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. We don't know. But hey, at least we're we're you know testing the waters and trying to find things and, and that sort of thing. Because um, once you're not willing to accept change, then then of course the gate's game over. And so, um, so anyway, I think 
I, I don't know where we got <laughs> to that. <laughs> it's a philosophical discussion. But um, it's because, you know, this house church that we just looked at, it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. So at some point, it had, it, you know, you had change there. And a lot of the churches that were in the, you know, first, second, third century, these house churches, they're no longer existing. Then change is inevitable. And um, I think the bottom line is, and this is something that I've, kind of come to grips with is that the people in your life, the things that you do, the things that you enjoy, the activities that occupy your life, the things you find happiness and joy in, all of those will change. The one thing that never changes is God who loves us, who cares for us, who brings us into each new day. And yeah, it might be a changed day because things have changed, but he never changes. The one constant that you will always have in your life is that God will love you regardless. You are his child in his kingdom. The beauty of this creation is, is how he loves you and, and cares for you, and that doesn't change. And, um, and so that, that's where we can really find comfort. Uh, and, and scripture says that God is, doesn't change, right? He's like the father of lights who comes down and he's unchanging. It's from James. Because he is. He's unchanging God in a changing world. And um, we just have to manage it and figure out what are the good changes and what are the bad changes. And uh, I think a church, if it does that well, it will continue to grow and to build and to be an influence for the kingdom and the world around them. So I think we'll leave it there. We This is episode 10. We will meet again um, in episode 11. So let's just go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, help us when, when change happens to cling to you and to know that at some level change is inevitable, but you never change. Because of your son, Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.